Listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. We have put together a programme which celebrates women. We find women who are striking out on their own and achieving some extraordinary results. I'm Linda Ness. And I'm Susie Thorpe, and we produce and present Women Making Waves. It's the start of a new year, and like many others, you may be interested in starting a fitness regime. Well, we meet Amber Brama, who runs Love Fit. And if you're interested in social media, you'll love our chat with Lenka Kopovar, because we certainly learned a thing or two from her. Two really fascinating women guests coming up on this episode of Women Making Waves. You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Most of us enjoy using social media, but for businesses it can be a bit of a nightmare. How do you set the right tone? What do you say? Even if you aren't involved in doing social media for a business, we think you'll find our chat with Lenka Kopova really interesting. If you run your own business, you'll be aware that social media can go a long way in making or breaking your reputation. Our guest today, Lenka Kopova, helps badass entrepreneurs, in her words, to achieve their goals by using social media in the right way. She's a social media consultant and set up Cambridge Social Media in order to help businesses get their heads round the, the dark art of social media. Hi, Alenka. Many thanks for joining us today in Women Making Waves. Hello, and thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, uh, you're from the Czech Republic, I believe. Yes, I am. I came actually to the UK as an exchange student just for three, four months. But I've never actually left. I decided to stay, get a little bit more of an experience. And then when I randomly landed in Cambridge, I started thinking, well, it's great to work for an agency, but how can I help more people? Would it be possible if I actually try to do it on my own, my own way, helping more people? So that's where I decided to actually set up my own business, set up my own freelance agency and try to do what I've done for others via an agency, do it by myself. When you went to university, you studied journalism and media studies, I think. And you did an interesting thesis on the topic photographs in the newspapers as a means of manipulation. That's really interesting. Tell us a little bit about that. Wow, you did amazing research on me. Oh, yes. yes, there's no stone left unturned, Lenka. <laughs> I love that. Unusual questions. Looking forward to that. Yeah, so def- definitely. I studied journalism and in our classes, in our module, you had an option to specialize on written, on online, on print, on radio, on TV and stuff like that. And I always was drawn towards like photography. But I wasn't a particularly good photographer. But I was always fascinated by how we see kind of editing photos. Where do we draw the line of seeing edited photos of manipulation? And I think it's even more kind of relevant these days with social media filters and all the editing software that we have available to, Mm -hmm. especially talking about reporting journalism, where we're trying to talk facts, 
how just a simple framing of a photo, simple changing colors from colorful to black and white could really change the meaning and kind of message that the photography is sending. Obviously, then throughout the history, there has been lots of examples of how doctoring, how manipulating with photos can really change the perception. But for me, it was just a simple fascination, even with the basics of how the photo composition, where you're taking the photo, what you decide to include and what you decide to place outside of the frame can really change how you represent certain events. Do you think photos, do you think that's more important than words sometimes? I think it really much depends on the platform. Some platforms are more focused on the words, like if you're talking LinkedIn or Twitter, then, then the copy often is more important. But if you're talking about platforms like Instagram or Pinterest, then, then definitely the visual matters a lot. Even on Instagram, you can add a copy and lots of people will use it as a micro microblogging. But the visual, having a visual that stands out, that really is attractive, that really draws people's attention. That's the first step. It's the first thing for people to actually be able then to get to the copy. So I find visuals quite important, especially understanding uh, branding, understanding how to make sure that you're putting across kind of consistent imagery that people can really remember the look and feel of certain images to really be able to build connection with your brand, with your business, and easily spot in their feed an image that's coming from your account and engage with it on a regular basis. I think that's really interesting, and I think you're absolutely right. It's often the photograph that attracts you to the article and maybe to articles that you wouldn't have read otherwise if there's an interesting image. You spent three years working as a journalist and photographer, and then you made a move into marketing. Was that accidental or was it a deliberate move to go into the marketing world? That was a plan. It was always a plan. When I started getting some internships and work around my degree, I always kind of gravitated towards the marketing side of it. No matter where I came in, what role was it, I always ended up being interested in marketing. And because my degree was combination of journalism, where I learned how to write and how to construct sentences and how to construct stories. But also I had the economic, financial, marketing, management background for my economics module. That's where I decided that actually marketing sounds like a good fun. I can use the skills from journalism, but compared to journalism, where I started to feel very restricted by what I can write, how I can write it. In marketing, you get lots of freedom. You get lots of opportunities to play around with your copy, play around with the messaging and see what converts, what really matters. Lenka, you, you mentioned the word opportunity. Did you find doing your degree that you opened up to a lot of opportunity by doing your degree? Where did the opportunity come from besides doing your degree? Did, it, did you make it happen or did you get lots of opportunity around you when you were studying? So I think it's both. It is looking for opportunities. So for me, it wasn't particularly the degree that I studied. It was what I've done around. And around my degree, I got involved with a student magazine fairly early on. We refreshed an older magazine that was kind of dying and we brought it back. And as one of the only few people on the team who actually had an economics background, I had to figure out our accounting. I had to figure out our bookkeeping, all the finance and legal stuff around it. 
And from there, I started seeing more opportunities. I started seeing that Facebook was just at the time becoming a thing. So I got our school magazine over there. Then I got an internship and in this company, it was a small company, like, well, maybe we can collaborate with this company and our school magazine. There seems to be mutually beneficial opportunities. So everywhere I went, I was just looking for different work experiences, for different internships, for different ways, but always looking at who am I connected to and how can I link them together? How can I benefit from this and this and this and make it beneficial for everyone? Linka, that sounds sounds like nature over nurture. Do you find that you're naturally a networker? Because it sounds like that's quite an innate thing for you, that you just naturally got on with it. Or do you think that's nurture for you? You've learned that along the way. Were you always like that? No, I definitely wasn't always like that. I think it's somewhere along the way. There definitely is something in me, but I was a really, really big introvert. I wasn't a people person. I had big, wow. big troubles connecting to people, making friends, speaking in public, being visible in class. And it was especially this particular opportunity in the school magazine where I got to meet some great people who started pushing me out of my comfort zone started nudging me to do something that my initial reaction was like never ever am I going to do that <laughs> to them just slightly holding my hand and just pushing me like just just give it a try just see and just had to embrace it and especially when I started my own business without networking without meeting other people I wouldn't be able to survive there's no other way to start a business and grow a business without going out there meeting people but I still wasn't a natural networker at the beginning. I always came to those events very early on, sat down somewhere in a corner, quietly observed everyone else. I did my quick 30 second introduction and then I just didn't join much of the conversation many times. But every now and then someone had a question. Oh, so you do social media, could you help us? And then I was like, yes, of course, I can help you. We started having one-on-one -on -one conversations. And from there, over time, I really learned how to enjoy networking, how to love networking, how to use it to build new connections, build my business, build my friendships. So the move into social media, what made you actually move away from marketing and actually specialize particularly in social media? It was a fairly organic way. I really got interested in, I started with Facebook and then I went to a couple of conferences and they were talking about this all thing of LinkedIn and I was, okay, looking for a career. So that sounds like a place to be. And they mentioned this thing called Twitter and it was a game changer for me. It was a couple of years back when Twitter was just becoming so popular. There were all the Twitter chats and out of nowhere, I could talk with people from all around the world. I could very quickly, even though I was nobody at the time, build relationships with big experts and speakers and marketers and entrepreneurs, and they knew who I am. And it was just amazing opportunity of really have the freedom of create content, use something from the internet, interpret it, learn it myself. And even straight away, I could be seen as someone who knows something just by sharing other people's content. And it really attracted me the speed of the opportunity and the size and the unlimited opportunities of what is possible to get done with social media. It is social media marketing. It's still part of the broader digital marketing. 
it can't stand alone. You always have to keep email marketing, web marketing, uh, any kind of paid advertising, video, all of that needs to still be included. But for me, I found the option of creating content and having conversations with people around this content, the two-way feedback. It's not just like I'm putting something into the newspaper and people might or might not read it. I'm putting something out there and immediately people are telling me that they read it, that they agree with it, that they disagree with it, what they took away from it. And I can start connecting with people around a piece of content. But during this COVID-19 and pandemic year, we've all gone through this, the whole world's gone through this. Things have changed. Can you sort of pinpoint things that you that's really stood out for you as a founder of a business and actually your work? Do you find things have changed quite dramatically this year from a social media point of view? It definitely has changed a lot. Social media always has been the area that has changed the most and the fastest all the time. I always said that I go on holidays for a week, I come back and I can start doing all the work again because a platform has changed something and all the strategies that i've built for clients are no longer working and this year it's been a total roller coaster where social media very instantly became one of the most important places for businesses to be because we could no longer see each other in person we could no longer sell from our physical shops or connect closely on networking events we could only interact with each other virtually. And not everyone has the time and resources to build a website, build a big uh, CMS system, have a mobile database, have an email database. But social media is very quick and flexible in this way. And all the platforms have worked very hard on bringing more tools and functionalities to really support businesses that lots of businesses who've been resistant in joining social media finally kind of had to, if they wanted to stay in business, they just had to, in a way, suck it and just do it. And also the world of social media itself has changed a lot with what platforms are offering, where the people are hanging out, what functionalities you have. What about people that just don't know what to say on social media? I mean, they could have the best business idea in the world, but communication is maybe just not their thing. Do you think it's wise to employ someone else to be your voice or do you think there's dangers in that? So I would definitely say that if they really don't know where to start and what to say, then definitely having someone to help out and working with someone who knows how social media works, how to put a message together, how to really use social media the right way for their business is helpful. It doesn't necessarily mean to employ someone to do social media management for them. It doesn't mean that they need to hire someone who will represent their brand and who will act on their behalf. They can simply hire someone who will help them with a strategy, who will help them build plan for them who will ask them certain questions to prompt the answers to help them see the opportunities. It could be someone like a coach or a mentor who will have regular conversations with them and who will oversee that they're doing the right thing, they're going into the right direction and empowering them to do it themselves. Or it could be that it might be much more better for the particular person, for the particular company to actually hire someone to really do everything on their behalf. But no matter which way they decided to go, there's no way that 
the business itself can detach themselves from social media. Social media is such a very personal, it needs to be authentic and truthful and real time and relevant content that it's not possible for me as a consultant, as a manager to come into the company and completely take over and the company doesn't need to do anything. There always needs to be involvement. Can I ask you, Lenka, then on that note, uh, what instantly came out of that is that, I mean, I, I get the impression that companies are failing to manage their social interactions because they feel a lot of pressure to be on all platforms all the time. So I mean, that's one question about the pressure from companies to have to be on all platforms. And maybe that's where you come into it. And the other question I wanted to ask you is your time in the social media consultancy business. When do you switch off? So when it comes to businesses and where they should be, definitely I would recommend not to be everywhere. I will always recommend to be strategic, to understand who are the people you're targeting, who are your ideal customers, understand their persona, understand their behavior. And based on those information, pick one or two networks that are places where the majority, the biggest number is most likely that your target audience will be hanging out and then really focus all the energy into one or two channels to really understand all the functionalities, all the features, how the algorithm works, how all the options are there, because all the platforms are very much supporting accounts that use as many features as possible, mm. especially platforms like Instagram. If you only post into your feed, you will get only thus far. But if you post to your feed and you have your beautiful grid and posts there, carefully designed and planned, if you do regular Instagram stories, if you do IGTV, if you now jump on reels and guides, if you have a shop set up, if you do Instagram live, that out of nowhere, there are so many different algorithms and places where people can discover you. And each and every one of them is supporting the other. But obviously, it is a lot to handle. Mm -hmm. And every platform has these little knacks and hidden points and hidden things that you could be doing. And it's pretty much impossible. Even for me, it's so impossible to try to stay on top of all of them. Yeah. So especially for small businesses, for people starting out with social media, people not knowing where to go, pick one platform. It can be the one that feels the most natural to you. I also have people who are choosing platforms based on their preferences. If they're more likely to engage in a short form tweet, in longer form Facebook lives, in more professional conversations on LinkedIn, still you can choose where it feels more natural for you to be because you still need to invest a fair amount of time to spend in these platforms to really not only put content out there, but be present in the platform, comment on other people's posts, share other people's posts, watch your comments, comment back, DM per people, engage with other people. So there is a lot of time that you need to be in the platform to really get the benefit from it. And I think it's important to choose something that will be enjoyable for us. To the second question about where, how I spend my time and if I have any time off, 
there are moments where I'm thinking, I wish I didn't work in social media and I can just throw <laughs> away my phone and have something like if I could spend my life just hiking, uh, if there is a career where I could just hike the mountains and uh, that would be a job, I would love that. But yeah, for me, it's, it is about understanding uh, how social media works and how it affects my life and building habits, making sure that my phone is pretty much always on silent, so no notifications will ever bother me. So I only check notifications where I've decided I will check them. I'm making sure that I have screen-free and social media-free evenings and weekends and when I go on holidays. Yes, I will take some photos and put them on Instagram or Facebook so my friends and family know that I'm okay. But then I will try to switch off and try to unplug having the time away is just so important that sounds very healthy actually Linka. that sounds, does does. sound very good and pleasing as well too. yeah <laughs> and it, of course it can be a bit of a minefield social media and and it's easy to make catastrophic mistakes when when using things like twitter and i think we we know of some very very well-known people who should just be removed from it entirely, I think, actually, because they just download onto it. But for, for, the, for the rest of us, have you any tips for avoiding these pitfalls of, of making catastrophic mistakes? Is it just a, a matter of checking things before you press that send button? Definitely. One of the tips would be never do anything in a haste, never do anything in a, like, yes, do it in a moment. But before you press send, just take a deep breath. <laughs> Close your eyes, read it again, and then send it. If there is someone in your team, if there's someone else, make sure that they do double check, they do proofread it. Especially if it's something that potentially could be seen as controversial, yeah. then definitely make sure that you double check the meaning, you double check the grammar, you double check the intention. And then you make sure that if you are putting something out there that you are happy and you can stand behind it, and that you're aware that sometimes there might be certain backlash, there might be feedback, and that's okay. That's how social media should work. It's a freedom of speech. We can all say whatever, but be aware of that your actions may have certain consequences and be ready to deal with them and to avoid having to deal with them. Yes, take a moment to actually read two, three times what you're about to say. You started Cambridge Social Media which I think is, is a kind of community group, isn't it? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so Cambridge Social Media started as a way of making it more comfortable networking and speaking in public. When I started my business, there were a lot more people that wanted my help, but obviously it's just me and my business and my time is limited, but I wanted to help everyone. And ultimately one day I wanted to become a speaker, but I wasn't really good in presenting. So I decided that to help them, to help my new connections and my new business friends and to help myself, I will set up a Cambridge social media meetup to set up a free event where people can come once a month, network a little bit. They can ask questions about social media. We can share insights. We can learn together and we can all help each other this way. And over the past couple of years, it grew from a small networking group where we had 15, 20 people coming to bigger monthly meetups where we have 40, 60 people coming with then speakers coming from all over the place to actually deliver talks. 
And from there, we took it obviously online. So we have a Facebook community where we run online sessions and people can again network and learn and ask questions. And on top of it, I decided how hard could it be to run a social media conference in Cambridge, you know, for just under 200 people all day or maybe two days as a add-on. And you run these things fairly fairly consistently. It's really, really interesting. And I think you've actually given us a great insight today and some really good tips, actually, <laughs> on, mm-hmm. on how to do social media. Absolutely. And actually, I felt a lot better talking to you about it than I did before because your point about not getting onto all the platforms, pick ones that you feel comfortable with and that you can enjoy. It's a bit like, do you enjoy your job? If you enjoy your job, then you're going to get further anyway. Exactly. Especially if we're talking again, my audience are mainly small businesses, entrepreneurs, people who are just a couple in their team or they're running their own show by themselves. And social media marketing is just one small part of their business. For me, it is my whole business, but for them, it's just one little thing on top of their accounting, on top of their admin, on top of everything else that they need to do to run a business. That's not the thing that they actually want to be doing. So you need to find a way of actually be able to enjoy it because yes, you need to be marketing to be able to have a business. Yes, you need to be consistently present on social media to have content and to have conversations with people. But you don't need to be everywhere. You don't need to try to understand all the platforms. You just need to pick one place and try to have as much fun with it as possible. Because at the end of the day, I might give you some tips and strategies and way of doing things. But social media is a lot about experimenting, doing something and seeing how it works and learning from that and definitely having fun. Well, I think we've we've learned a lot from you today, Lenka. Thank you very much for talking to us, Lenka Kopova. Well, what a woman, Lenka Kopova. She's got an amazing amount of motivation and loves social media. She really has. She's an inspiration lender. Yes, she really is. I, I thought she was very, very interesting. And I learned quite a lot, actually. I don't know about you. I learned mm. quite a lot from listening to her. We really grapple, don't we, with social media and which platform to use or keeping abreast of it when you're doing it on your own. But she, one of the most interesting points for me was concentrate on a social media platform that you enjoy using and mm-hmm. stick with that one first of all. I thought that was great. That was a, such a great piece of advice. And I, I love the fact that she fessed up to, to <laughs> not really liking networking and things like that, not being yeah. particularly good at it at first. And it just shows you that if you are a little bit quiet and you are a little bit shy and you think you're not very good at that kind of thing, all you need to do is practice and just push yourself, you know, push the boundaries a little bit and make yourself a little bit uncomfortable. And soon you'll be doing it without even thinking about it. That was another message that came through for me. You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Coming up, we'll be joined by Amber Brammer, who set up Love Fit. So if you're thinking about getting fit this year, you're going to find this chat really interesting. Cambridge 105 Radio. 
Kickstart your weekend. Saturday Breakfast with Matt Webb. I'm here every weekend to get you moving. I have the latest from the Cambridge News Desk on the hour and half hour. Problems on the A14, Newmarket Road or Mill Road? Well, if there are, you'll be the first to know in the travel. There's a full sports roundup at 8.30, including what's happening at Cambridge United and our other local clubs. Plus a look at the Saturday papers and local online publications at 10 to 9. That's Saturday Breakfast with me, Matt Webb, this weekend from 8. If you're like me, you've got a family and a business, and you want to protect what's most important when the chips are down. With Woodfine Solicitors, that's exactly what happens. I got a bespoke legal service from a friendly expert team. They really listened to what was going on and tailored their recommendations to my situation, which was, well, that's another story. Anyway, the best thing was that it all happened online. A few simple clicks and I had my quote. That freed up time to focus on everything else. Get the help you need when you need it most. Visit woodfinds.co.uk or call Cambridge 411421. Woodfinds, cutting through the red tape. What does your home need to feel complete? Gap Home Improvements have been helping customers give their properties that curb appeal for over 20 years. You've seen our vans in your area providing dedicated support to families across Cambridgeshire. Windows, doors, garden rooms, conservatories and warm roofs. We offer free quotations in a pressure-free environment. In person, on the phone or by video call, our consultants will help you realise your property's true potential. Call Cambridge 914-567 or visit gaphomeimprovements.co.uk today. You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. We thought it was the perfect time of year to talk about fitness because lots of us set goals to improve our fitness regime and our next guest can help you to do just that. Amber Brammer gave up her career in banking in order to become a fitness trainer and she's loving it with LoveFit. In 2008, fed up with her job in the city, Amber Brahma decided to set up business as a personal trainer. This sounds like it might have been a risky option because of course we were in the middle of a recession at the time. However, it appears to have paid off and Amber runs a successful business called Love Fit Limited. Thank you very much for joining us on Women Making Waves, Amber. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Let's start at the beginning. So, You studied languages at Cambridge University. Did you have a career path in mind when you were doing that? (laughs) That's a very good question. Do you know what? I didn't. When, When I went to university and applied to read languages at Cambridge, it was because it was something that I enjoyed. I loved being able to speak languages and I relished the opportunity of being able to go and spend that year abroad that you get as part of a four-year language degree. Mm -hmm. But at that point, at 18 years old, when I applied, I didn't have a long-term goal. I had a sort of sideline goal of getting into acting. It was one of the reasons I actually wanted to go to Cambridge, because I knew there's a very good drama um, scene at Cambridge. Mm -hmm. But my parents, although never hugely pushy, were not massively keen for me to go to drama school at that stage because they felt I should fulfil my academic potential. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I can can understand that because you were clearly bright. (laughs) You got into Cambridge, so... Yeah, Yeah, I don't really know how, but anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) 
somehow that did happen. And so I agreed that, yes, I would I would apply to Cambridge, but secretly with a, a hope to kind of have my name in lights there. So I did spend a lot of my time as an undergraduate in theatres. And actually, I did have a place after finishing um, or in my in my fourth year, I did have a place to go and study drama and dance afterwards um, at dance school and then turned it down because I got offered a job by the company that I ended up working for for five years and that I had worked for in Frankfurt on my year abroad. And it was one of those things my husband had, um, well, my now husband, he wasn't my husband then. I met him acting, actually, but he um, was going to be reading PhD still in Cambridge. And I figured we couldn't both be impoverished students forever. And I had this, in inverted commas, a good job offer on the table. And I thought it would be mad not to do it. And it was a job offer that would use my languages. So that's how I ended up in banking and having worked for an investment bank on my year abroad. But it wasn't really my long term plan, but not that I had a clear one other than that if I got a lucky break and I went to stage school, I would love to have been in the West End. But alas, that did not happen but well, I did do a lot know. of lovely yeah you never know maybe it's not too late as I approach 40 now you, you, stranger things have happened well, they have um, indeed you studied German I'm assuming from what you've told us yes yeah German and Spanish and, and ah. sort of linguistics yeah the, the kind of linguistic side of it rather than the literature side of it and the physical exercise clearly you were into dancing by the sound of it has that always been something that you'd enjoyed yes absolutely so I've always been a very active physical person I danced from the age of I think two I went to my first ballet class and did that right through until my A-levels did a lot of performance did did do some West End stuff you know with my theatre school that I was with as a youngster um, and lots of dance shows and recitals and all that kind of thing and danced at the opening ceremony of Euro 96 and you know lots of fun things like that so Mm. I, I had my time but growing up as well I was very sporty in school so I did a lot of county athletics and was on the you know the netball team and all of those kind of things um but yeah particularly athletics uh, I was a sprinter and a jumper and was just yeah one of the kind of the sporty kids shall we say and enjoyed that kind of side of it so it's always been there I guess but not at any sort of great accomplishment level either <laughs> so what happened in 2008 at that point what what drove you to setting up your own business it's quite a big step actually especially when you're in a you know a banking job and we know that they're usually you know that they're, they're good jobs they're, as your yes. parents would say there's a good yes, job it's a good job it's a good <laughs> job on paper there wasn't a kind of pivotal moment in 2008 it had been building I think I mean if I'm entirely honest it had been building from the start I think deep down I knew that my dream had never been to sit in an office and do banking but I did enjoy parts of the job. I loved getting to speak the languages. I worked with some really wonderful people. And I have to say that in spite of many things, I will never regret the five years I spent there. And it was, you know, a reasonably well-paid job. I wasn't one of the, uh, like the traders who earned the mega bucks or anything like that. But certainly as a graduate, I was on a, a decent salary um, with really good job prospects and was progressing well in my career. You know, it enabled me to buy my first house pretty much straight after university and then to move into our second home and it kind of got us set up shall we say and I I will always forever be grateful so never regret the decision to do it but from pretty early on it became clear that the job was actually really very stressful and not very good for my health I started getting really bad migraines very regularly 
I was just not getting any time for myself at all. I was staring at a screen for long hours. I would get on the train at 5.25 from um, Water Beach, where I, I still live, to get in early enough to get to the gym to try and do something for me and then come home at maybe nine o'clock at night. Some days it might be 8.30, other days it would be 10. And if there was a problem on the train, it could be 11 or midnight or I didn't get home at all. That happened a few times in my five years there. Mm -hmm. um, and I just I, I knew I didn't want to move us to London. And the same, my, my now husband was doing his PhD at the time here. So, you know, moving closer was never going to be part of it. I just knew that deep down as much as I could see that if I stuck at it a bit longer, the financial rewards could be really good, but I also recognised that if I didn't get out sooner rather than later, those financial rewards would be too hard to step away from. Yes. And, you know, I, I think it was just a moment in time where I thought, if I don't act now, I'm going to be trapped because we'll get accustomed to certain things and a certain income. And I yeah. don't actually, I do want it, but I don't want the the side effects and I wasn't I had you know I was a very fit healthy mid 20 something with extremely high blood pressure and unexplained migraines and they sent me off for all sorts of scans and things and nothing came back and it really was put down to stress it came it came from that point of view and I guess from about a year before I left I'd been plotting my exit and wondered how much longer I should stick it out or not and then I kind of thought well what let's just break this down really simply what do I like doing Right. What are my enjoyments? I thought I love animals and I'm not going to retrain to be a vet, though. So that's off the cards. And, you know, let's think of an actual career path. And I thought, well, hold on. I love gym. I love going to the gym and being fit and sport and being active. And I have zero qualifications in this realm, you know, having studied languages. But actually, I really find biology fascinating. And I would actually quite like to just maybe get into a fitness career. Mm -hmm. So I had a personal trainer and so I chatted to him about it a little bit and found out a bit more what was involved and thought this would be a really good starting point. It might sound crazy to people that I'm going to leave a banking job to go and be a PT. You know, it conjures up sort of images. And so I, I thought, well, I know for a fact that what I don't want to do is just go and get a generic PT qualification and go and work in a gym because that will not be satisfying. But I would like to see what I could do on my own. And so that was the plan. And I came up with that plan. And then I think late 2007, I started doing some of my basic qualifications and then did all my study on the train as I commuted back and forth every day, five days a week, so, you know, I was child free at that time. So I had quite a bit more spare time on my hands. So I then got my qualifications lined up and psyched myself up ready to have my notice in and then found that we were obviously in the recession. And I wavered for a brief moment. I think I held <laughs> I off for imagine. about a month. I, was like, I said to, to my, my partner, I said, look, is this actually crazy? Because he had got his PhD by then, but he hadn't found full-time employment. He was actually working as a, as a delivery driver for national car rentals at the time. And I was not sure if this was the time to be <laughs> saying goodbye. But then I thought, no, if I don't do it now, who knows what the future will hold? I'm going to do it. And that was that. So I resigned and just ignored everybody who told me that I was completely bonkers and figured at worst I will realize I've made a mistake and you know it really worst case scenario I will be accepted back if I if I find myself a year down the line thinking this was stupid I'll be able to go back um, to banking and you know actually best case scenario there could be a full-time career here 
And somewhere in between those things, at least I've tried something and maybe it pushes me into a different career path. Who knows? But I was I just went in really open minded and decided to see what occurred. (laughs) That's really brave, actually. Did you set up just with some individual clients and you you went and met up with them in, in the weekend? Or did you actually set up in a gym and advertise yourself? I didn't ever work in a gym, never have done. I set up individually. I got a website. I did some loose marketing, you know, did some leafleting, all of the things that you did back in the day. I think I wasn't even on Facebook on those days. So there were no Facebook marketing campaigns or anything like that. But I set up a website. I spoke to lots of local people to just ask to sort of spread the word. And so through a few contacts, I got my first couple of clients. And then I think I was very lucky that here in Cambridge, we were a bit of a bubble from the rest of the recession. And actually, quite quickly, I was able to get several clients on the book. You know, I had quite a few clients quite quickly. Um, When I first started out, I was converting our garage in our old home into a very small gym, just converting it, not sticking the weights in, you know, probably getting it um, converted and refurbed and insulated and, and made to look nice as opposed to just looking like a garage. So I had a small home studio that I used where I had a few bits of cardio equipment, some weights, kettlebells, and that's how it began. And then I was teaching classes from the off as well. That's when I did do a few bits at some of the local gyms. I did cover for for other instructors. So I'd go in and cover a legs, bums and tums and aerobics class. And I also was teaching circuit training, which I then moved into sort of outdoor boot camp style things. But the business has really morphed over the 12 years, which I guess now I say it out loud, 12 years is a really long time. Yes. So it's probably just as well it's morphed. And, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it has definitely changed a lot. And you're a female only fitness business at the moment. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. When I started out, I wasn't. And in fact, ironically now, I trained more men than women um, to begin with. But it morphed into female only. Actually, quite quickly, I just realized that the people that were attracted to my business more were women. And a lot of my friends at the time were starting to have kids and they were asking me about what they could do when they were pregnant or after having babies and things like that. And I thought, well, this is something that I'm quite interested in. And then I think just slowly, my one-to-one male clients trickled off And I was getting more women into my general classes as well and fewer men. And then I thought, actually, this is where I feel like I'm I'm in my element, I guess. Honestly, I can say hand on heart, men were more straightforward to train. (laughs) I think part of the uh, something in me enjoyed the challenge of working with the complexities of pregnancy, postnatal, menopause and all of those things. And I just felt I obviously could relate to women more and so I made the decision whenever it was to then become female only. That was quite an inspired move I think actually to specialise in pre and post natal exercise but you, you hadn't been through a pregnancy yourself when you started you no. started doing that and do you no, think absolutely. that do you think that having now you know had a child do you think that that's made a difference in the way that you've taught your classes? I do it's one of those things where yeah it's it's hard because I at the time I I started to specialize in pre and postnatal very early on almost from the off I went out within the first year and and got the qualifications for that and then since have done tons more qualifications and learning in that area but when I got those first basic anti and postnatal qualifications I was aware that all the women that I would train who then fell into that category 
would maybe question the fact that I hadn't been through that myself. And as much as I was absolutely qualified up to the eyeballs and absolutely had no doubt in my abilities, I do now, five and a half years into the parenting journey myself, realise that what I do have now is just heaps of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that makes a big difference, just understanding what it's like, understanding how different it is. And obviously having trained so many women now who've gone through this and seen a vast array of different scenarios that women go through during their pregnancies and and post having children well we don't expect our midwives to have had children necessarily and many of them haven't so it's you know it's not it's not something if you were pregnant and going to a class that you'd maybe think about asking but I think you're right it's the empathy and once you've been through labour yourself you suddenly understand what women are talking about when they're talking about labour so the, the whole thing the whole package from beginning to end once you've experienced it yourself yeah you know what what it can be like are you still a general fitness coach as well are you are you now just purely working with uh, expectant and and uh, post-pregnant women no so I don't only train those women they do form a large part of my client base I teach classes in the week that are specific for pregnancy and another class that is specific for postnatal and by that I mean it's sort of the early postnatal first first year phase and then quite a large number of my one-to-one clients would also fall into that category but I'd say at least 50% of my one-to-ones maybe do not fall into that category so I have plenty of one-to-one clients and in my more general classes women who have never had kids or haven't yet had kids or have but they're now you know postmenopausal themselves and they've maybe even got grandkids so I do train a broad spectrum so it's very much sort of women at every stage but I kind of consider myself a, a go-to for pre and postnatal expertise. You also run boot camps which always sound absolutely terrifying to me. <laughs> yes well that's why I think three years ago I changed from actually calling it boot camp and I changed it to wow the women's outdoor workouts um, uh, because much I nicer. found that I was constantly saying come to love fit boot camps but not really a boot camp not shouty <laughs> not military and I, I was like why am I having to justify this name this is ridiculous why am I calling it boot camp if I feel like I need to say but it's not like that kind of boot camp and also maybe <laughs> you should realize, call it stiletto camp <laughs> yeah, exactly, maybe that exactly. sounds even more frightening actually when I think about it <laughs> Yeah, comfy flats camp. I don't yes. know. <laughs> and I, at the same time, I didn't want to undermine it and make it sound like it was really soft because it absolutely isn't. But I, I thought for people who the term boot camp conjures up images of military men making you, you know, do press ups in the mud and standing over you and all those stereotypes, I thought I don't want to put those people off. Boot camp doesn't feel befitting anymore. What is it? It's outdoor working out for women. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm just going to call it wow. It's called Love Fit Wow. And That's great. And people have slowly adopted that. And some of my ladies who've been coming for years still refer to it as boot camp. And even I do sometimes because it is boot camp style exercise. But yeah, I moved away from that sort of branding um, <laughs> to soften it a bit and go this, that. I'm not going to be screaming at anyone, but we are going to be out in the rain like we were last week um, getting soaked if that's what the weather's doing. And we are going to be working hard, but we are very much having a laugh and working together. For some people, that's not the environment they want. They want to train where somebody is going to be standing over them saying, go on, you can do more. And you feel like you're going to throw up. And that's great. But actually, I realise it's not how I work as a trainer. 
And so I would rather attract the women who don't want that either. And I, I'll be the trainer who's standing there saying, right, I want you to try this, but if you can't, here's your next option down. And you, so-and-so, because of your knee injury, I want you to do this. And I'll be kind of going around and making sure everybody feels comfortable. And if ever you look at a big group of us doing a particular exercise, there's usually three or four different variations of the same thing happening to make sure that everybody is comfortable and nobody ever feels like they're being judged. And I, for me, that's yes. a really important part oh, really of important. making people feel welcome. If someone feels embarrassed and mortified once, they're unlikely yeah. to come back, I think. To come back, exactly. So for me, that was more the kind of ethos I wanted to create was that it wouldn't be a, I'm going to be the one that will push you to your absolute limits. But equally, if I can see, you know, I get people in class who are, more that way inclined I can absolutely give them the nudge but it yeah I, I just felt for me I wanted to make it a really welcoming mm-hmm. environment. How have you coped with Covid? Have you gone online like many people have? Yes I have. I'll be honest I was hugely resistant to it at first because my business has always been very much about the face-to-face and the opportunity to talk with people and I have you know, one-to-one training sessions where sometimes we don't do any exercise, we sit and we talk and maybe somebody's got some tears to shed or in classes I'll stay behind and chat to somebody about something. And and so the thought of going online felt just not very nice. And also we are currently living in a very small rental accommodation because we're building a house. And I honestly just thought, well, it's literally impossible. I don't have a space in this house. I, I literally don't. There's nowhere I can run my business from. And if it hadn't been for the build and the fact that I need to pay for it, I would have considered taking some time out and just saying to my women, look, I'll be back when this thing has blown over. I mean, thank goodness I didn't, because who knew that it was going to be as, as long term a feature as it is. Yeah. So I just thought, well, I'm going to have to give this a go because I can't afford not to. And maybe this is going to be really important for my women. And I'm not Miss Technical um, at all. So I was a little bit worried about it working. But we did some shuffling around in our very small sitting room, basically created a very small space from which I could have a blank wall behind me. The only downside is, um, and it's a comedy feature of all my sessions that all my women are now very familiar with, is this giant red egg chair that has to be part of all the sessions because I literally have nowhere else to store it. And it looks like some kind of big brother chair. Um, but it's just become a feature. And we all, we all just accept that the chair is part of our workout. And there it is, hogging the screen. Um, that's quite no, so fun I, I, though yeah it is fun and you know every, everybody's been so understanding I think I was really worried that especially as an established business that people would think that my online offering wasn't going to be up to scratch because I didn't have this beautiful studio to do it from or even a, a glamorous kitchen to do it in and I was in this tiny ugly carpeted space um, teaching bar using one of my big clunky chairs as a, as a bar And that people would think, well, that's not what I signed up for. And I think what I quickly became aware of is that people don't care. They they come because they enjoy Mm -hmm. your teaching Mm -hmm. and the music and how it makes them feel. And actually in lockdown, in in true lockdown, right at the beginning, it was a complete lifeline for everyone. But also for me, and I said this to the women, I said, you know what? I'm so glad I gave this a go because I think without my connection to you, I would have felt so miserable so having you guys pop up on my screen and we have such a laugh about stuff, you know, in the early days, I'd be like, right, normally I'd be handing out some light dumbbells now. Go to your cupboards. What have you got? If you don't have a dumbbell and people would be bringing up their, you know, their sweet corn or their can of beans <laughs> or their water bottles. And we'd, we'd have a little five minute bit at the beginning of every class comparing 
you know, who had the classiest item in their in their <laughs> cupboards that they were going to do their their arm section of their class with and just hilarious sort of interruptions from other people in, in the house, you know, toddlers running in, cats, other housemates, whatever it is, you know, there's all, and it's, it's made it really real again and relatable. And I think it's, it's really brought everyone together in a way more than before. And actually with my one-to-one clients as well, some of whom I've trained for literally like 10 years, they've only ever come to me and suddenly I'm there and I can, I can see where they live. I've not seen them, you know, and, and it's, it's just little things like that. And it's been really good. And the best outcome was that a lot of women who had left Cambridge and now live, you know, from London to the Lake District to Abu Dhabi and even Australia have all joined the classes mm-hmm. online because they can. And that has been amazing. Well, it sounds like that decision that you made to leave that job in the city in the bank in 2008 has been the best thing that you've ever done. It sounds like you're really enjoying it. I do love it. I really do. I, yeah, I mean, people always ask me, do you miss what you used to do? I'm like, no, I really don't. I, I maybe miss the salary. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Even 12 <laughs> years into the business, it's not the same. Um, but I absolutely do not regret that decision. And I, I do feel, this sounds really cliched, but I feel hugely privileged to work with women at all these different stages in their lives. It's, it's honestly lovely. And so I would be lying if I said it didn't come without stress and that I don't find parts of it really difficult from time to time. But I do, I love it. I love this line of work. I love spending time with my women and I, I love just being able to help them. If someone is listening and they're interested in joining you, how do they get in touch with you, Amber? Oh, thank you, Linda. Yes, it's um, www.lovefittraining.com. And that's love fit training is all one word. And that's the easiest place. You can then view everything on the website. um, And there's an email address on there. You can also find me on most socials um, under Love Fit Women's Wellness. And we'll be putting all of that on our website as well. Amber Brahma, it's been really interesting and really lovely to talk to you today. I love hearing how people start their businesses and um, and, and evolve. And it sounds like uh, you've had had a great time doing it. So thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Linda. It's been great talking to you. Well, Linda, I thought Amber Brammer took a huge step in 2008 from going from banking into this particular area and doing Love Fit. I mean, what an amazing decision to make in 2008. I know. It has bit of a recurring theme actually with some of our recent women making waves that they've had these you know top-notch jobs that, that that pay them quite a lot of money and they have chosen to sort of go their own way and do their own thing and never looked back and really really enjoyed it I think she's the second person in a few weeks that uh, that's done something very similar to this and I, my hat goes off to them because it takes a heck of a lot of courage. It does. <clears throat> I also think I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the thought process when somebody makes a decision. So I wonder how much thought process has gone on before actually making that decision. I know. I agree. I wonder if you can overthink it when it's something that you really love. I guess that's easier. So, well, I yeah. guess it's essential, in fact. It's essential. Yeah. If you're going to give up a job like that, it has to be for something that you absolutely love doing.
I think you're right. I, it's I, passion, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's passion. But I think that is the key, isn't it? Knowing that you have got something in the background that you want to bring forward into your life and instead of starting from new. I don't think anyone be sensible enough to give up a job. Think right now, what are we going to do next? Mm -hmm. So I think you do have to have that plan, don't you? That's always in the back of your mind. Yeah. And it's just moving it in the right direction. So yeah, hats off to Amber. I thought mm -hmm. she was fantastic. Yeah, she is yeah, very motivated. And I'm, I'm I can imagine she'd make a brilliant fitness instructor. That's all we have time for in this edition of Women Making Waves. We'd very much like to thank our guests, Amber Brahma and Lenka Kopova. If you know of a woman who is making waves, we'd like to speak to her. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves Radio. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website, womenmakingwaves.co.uk, where you can hear all of our interviews. Women Making Waves is a jibber-jabber production 